In the world of the Pharisees, there were very clear boundaries. These are the insiders. These are the outsiders. These are the people who belong. These are the people who don't belong. Scribes, in. Tax collectors, out. Mothers, in, below scribes. Prostitutes, out, below tax collectors. In fact, the word Pharisee comes from the Hebrew word to separate. We don't know if the Pharisees gave themselves that name or if someone else ascribed it to them, but you get the point either way. The Pharisees saw themselves removed from, apart from, separated from everybody else. They were the true keepers of God's law. Other people were, well, not. And nowhere were those boundaries more evident than at table. You might rub shoulders with all kinds of people in the streets, but when you come to the table, there are rules. Clean and unclean, permitted and forbidden. A couple of weeks ago, we heard the story about the Pharisees who argue about who has the most honor, where they should sit at the table. But even to have the lowest seat at the Pharisees' table was to have some degree of respectability. There were many people who weren't in the room at all, many people who could never even get a seat at the table. Now, we often view the Pharisees as regressive and closed-minded and legalistic, but we take on their worldview more often than we like to admit. There are certain kinds of people who belong and certain kinds of people who really don't. We create boundaries and norms that say these are the kinds of people that are normal, these are the kinds of people that are deviants. The normal people are usually people like us. Today's gospel reading reveals that Jesus does not abide by those boundaries. Sometimes Jesus eats with Pharisees. Sometimes Jesus eats with tax collectors. What annoys the Pharisees so much about Jesus, the reason they grumble, is he seems entirely uninterested in the rules and norms that they live by. But it turns out it's even more radical than that. Not only does Jesus not abide by their rules and norms, that would be bad enough. No, Jesus seems primarily interested in the people that they have pushed out. Jesus isn't just ignoring their rules. Jesus is actively trying to take them apart. You notice when the Pharisees grumble about Jesus eating with sinners, as if they're not sinners, Jesus doesn't say he'll eat with anyone. Jesus doesn't say, I just go to whoever has good food. No, Jesus tells them a parable about a lost sheep. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine and go after the one that is lost? Jesus' ethic, his guiding principle, is not necessarily to treat everyone the same. His ethic, his way of living, is to give particular attention, particular effort, particular time to the people who no one else pays attention to. In other words, Jesus prizes justice above fairness. We often fail to see how provocative this parable about the lost sheep is, because we never ask why the sheep wandered off by itself. We make it a moralistic tale about a sheep who wanders off on their own volition. This sheep doesn't know what's good for it, but Jesus will always set off and bring it back. Isn't Jesus nice? Imagine how much Jesus must love the sheep like me who don't wander off. But oftentimes the sheep don't just wander off on their own. 
Sometimes they get pushed out. Sometimes they get sent away by the rest of the flock. We think the problem is that the sheep keeps wandering off by itself when the real problem is that we keep chasing them away. Like the Pharisees in today's story, we create barriers that keep people out and then act surprised when they're off eating by themselves. Next month, we're going to have a speaker here from St. Paul's in Teaneck named Mimi Confer. Confer is one of the heads of the New Jersey Synod's Ministry to LGBT Persons Task Force. And she's going to help us think about some ways we can become more open and affirming as a congregation. Our synod has another ministry team that works with immigrants. Other synods have similar task forces. The New York Synod has a group that works with the Latinx community. The Milwaukee Synod has a group that works with military families. Our churchwide organization has groups that work with people with HIV AIDS and people with disabilities. These are groups that we've either explicitly discriminated against or just been really bad at ministering to. And there are some people who see this kind of effort and say, why do we have to work on serving the needs of this one demographic group? If we make this one group feel welcome, doesn't that mean we're making everyone else feel less welcome? Why do we need to start addressing particular groups of people all of a sudden? And that argument feels reasonable at first, but it only works as long as you don't know your history. It only works if you assume the sheep wandered off by itself and you really had nothing to do with it. Because the fact is, we have been addressing particular groups of people for a long time, and we've been doing it to tell them that they don't belong here. If people are mad that the church identifies specific groups of people to make sure they feel welcome, just imagine how mad they must have been when the church identified specific groups of people that tell them they didn't belong here. They must have been furious. They must have been writing letters to the presiding bishop every Sunday. They must have submitted resolutions to Synod Assembly every year. They must have been raising hell at the district meetings. But you know what? They never did, because it just felt normal. Like the Pharisees in today's reading, we often don't even notice when we exclude particular types of people. It's normal, it's tradition, it's the way we've always done things. But when Jesus starts to eat with them, when Jesus goes out of his way to make a point of showing them hospitality, suddenly we cry foul. Or as Luke would say, we start grumbling. Sometimes we like to tell ourselves that we've done enough once we've stopped trying to keep people out. We're not being exclusionary anymore. They can come back to the fold whenever they want. We act like we can restart history whenever we want a fresh start. As if we can just say, we've changed our position on tax collectors, so if they show up, it's fine, but nobody tell them or anything. <laughs> we often fail to recognize the harm that those policies and structures have caused. We forget the people that we pushed out on the margins may not be willing to take the risk of showing up without being invited. Making amends, rebuilding trust, creating relationships, that's hard work. It takes time, it takes effort, and perhaps hardest for us, it means taking accountability for the times we've fallen short in the past. These things don't just happen overnight by themselves. 
This past summer, as you know, hopefully, we commemorated 50 years of female clergy in the ELCA. There was lots of celebration of that milestone, and rightly so. But it also served as a reminder of how long it has taken us to elect women to positions of authority in our church. In theory, anyone who is ordained can be elected a bishop in any synod. So women could have been elected bishops in 1970. The first woman to actually be elected a bishop? April Ulrang Larson in 1992, 22 years later. The first black and Latinx women to be elected as bishops? Patricia Davenport and Layla Ortiz, 2018, 48 years later. And you know what people said when they were elected? They said, why do we need to talk about the gender, the race, the ethnicity of the bishop? Why can't we just elect people based on their skills and abilities? But if you never questioned whether we were electing people based on their skills and abilities, when the Conference of Bishops was 100% male, 100% straight, 95% white, you're telling on yourself. So often we think that God has a limited amount of grace to go around. And if Jesus spends time with these people, if Jesus goes out of his way to show hospitality to them, it means that God loves me less. Think back to today's gospel reading. What's the emotional response the Pharisees have? What do they feel? Well, we know they're upset. We know they're offended. But at the heart of it, they're jealous. Because they want Jesus to be eating with them. They have a zero-sum view of the world. They see other people as competition. And the time and effort that Jesus is putting in over there is taking away from what I should be getting. But we know God's love is infinite. It isn't a finite resource that gets drained over time. And Jesus loving the people we push away doesn't mean Jesus loves us less. Jesus seeking out the lost sheep doesn't mean he doesn't care about the other ones. In fact, it's the exact opposite of that. You see how much Jesus loves all of us because of what he will do for just one of us. When the Pharisees see God reach out to someone on the margins, what do they do? They grumble. They grumble because they say, that's not me. But what do the people in Jesus' parable do? When he comes home, he calls together all his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. They rejoice. Because they see there's even more love, even more goodness, and even more grace in the world. And when we gather around this table every week and offer our thanks and praise to God, that's what we're celebrating. As our preface puts it, it is indeed right, our duty and our joy, that we should at all times and in all places offer our thanks and praise to you. It's our joy. It's our joy that Jesus keeps gathering us together despite our worst instincts. It's our joy that Jesus keeps loving us across the barriers that we build. And it's our joy that Jesus keeps on seeking us out, no matter where we go. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.